Yeah, hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to my podcast. Here, yeah, mate, we talk about all kinds of bloody topics, from fishing, beers. Also, too, I get some very interesting people on here just to see what their point of view is and what's going on and just have a good old yak. This is Having a Yak Podcast, mate, with me, your host, Matt the Big Bear Edwards. Let's just have a yak, shall we? Hey, what's going on everyone? Matt here again with another episode of Having a Yak Podcast. Um, this is episode 10, mate. This is episode 10. And I've also got some news for you guys. Um, I have hit over 100 listens. 100 listens. Thank you very much for that, guys. I really appreciate that. Um, now... Today, I'm just by myself today. I've got no one else with me there today. Um, now, like it says in the title, I want to talk to you about whiskey. Now, whiskey, scotch, that type of thing. Uh, Irish whiskey, scotch, scotch whiskey, or just normal whiskey. Um, that is what's on today's episode today, guys. And uh, so, let's get to it. Now, whiskey has had a very, very long history. Now, whiskey, um, now also, too, you also got to remember this too, uh, whiskey actually comes from the uh, the original uh, word from, from Gaelic, um, meaning war of life. But uh, the, what the actual word is, originally was called ushkaba. Now, ushkaba, like I said, was from the Gaelic word, uh, war of life. It is uh, that, that was a Celtic word that was spoken through the highlands of Scotland and Ireland and uh, those type of places. Now, whiskey uh, has had a very long history, uh, a very adventurous type story. Um, many brave people over the years have had uh, so many things to do to make sure that it actually does keep flowing. And um, <clears throat> and the thing the thing is too, right, guys, is that whiskey's been around for a long, 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 long time. Now, with uh, whiskey or scotch or something like that, it all comes up to the way it's been distilled. Right, that's basically it. The history of distilling. Now, it's basically came from it, whiskey how it actually really came up was it could be uh evolved from um from to be other things like there's whiskey bourbon rye scotch um but it's got some really fun little um things in the history of it um so what now one thing that people go to understand too is that there's two ways of actually spelling whiskey there is W-H-I-S-K-E, then W-H-I-S-K-E-Y. Now, <laughs> now with that, it also depends on where the actual whiskey was actually made. Now, I actually, I actually honestly did not know this until I actually figured that out for myself. I've learned over the time. Now, whiskey without an E refers to the scotch. Um, Canadian, Japanese grain whiskies. Now, whiskey with an E refers to the grain spirits distilled in Ireland, United States, 
and it's only whiskey um, who might pull you up on the actual spelling of like real, the real um, connoisseurs, I suppose you'd probably wouldn't really say of whiskey lovers that would actually would pull you up on the spelling of that. But it all all differences ends there. That's basically it. At the country of origin that the spirit was actually made, that's where it really stops. Now, to be considered as a scotch, it has to be made and distilled, bottled, barreled, everything in Scotland. Okay? And that is is considered as a proper scotch. You can't call it a whiskey, um, or you can't call a scotch whiskey uh, or anything like that in any other country. Like, you can't go to America and say, right, I'm going to make a scotch. No, mate, you can't do that because it's not made in Scotland. Now, one of the other bigger things when it comes to uh, this type of uh, spirit is the differences between single malt and blended. Now, single malt scotch whiskey is also a blend. There is many different types of scotches out there, or type of whiskies out there, that actually do do blended whiskies. Alright? Um, but it's a blend of malt whiskey produced in just one distillery. Uh, that's the single malt. Uh, so an effort to be called a single means a single place of origin, whereabouts blended whiskies is a blended of grain and malt whiskey from multiple distilleries. So let's just say, for example, right, right? Let's just say this. So say if you want a single malt scotch, right? Barman, I would like a um, bottle of scotch, please, single malt. Well, you go to, uh, say, a Glenfinnick. That's a scotch whiskey. That's a single malt, I'm pretty sure. Then you go over, okay, Barman, I would like a um, blended scotch whiskey, please. That's when you go to the monkey shoulder. And I think Johnny Walker is too. Um, but there is multiple different ways of having it. There's uh, malted, and then there's also there's the blended. Now let's just go through the history of whiskey. Now we hit, hit. Now it wasn't actually whiskey from the very beginning. No, it was not. It was actually um, the art of. The, of the distillery and that type of thing was actually founded in an ancient area. Now, I'm, I've, only, I've got some notes here. Um, I'm not going to quote everything. I'm not actually going to say this is the way it is. This is just what I found out. This is what my research has more or less showed me. Now, the distillery or di- the distillation was founded in ancient area, modern day equivalent of the area covering parts of Iraq and Syria. This was in 2000 BC. Often used as the way to produce perfumes and aromatics, so aromas. <clears throat> and um, so in 100 AD, we, uh, we found the first written recording of distillery in ancient Greek, or ancient Greece, I suppose. Now, I can't pronounce his last name or, or the lower name of it, but it's Alexander the... Metropolis or something, I don't know. Describes the process of taking seawater and distilling it into pure drinking water. Middle evil um, civilizations evolved their techniques over the following centuries, uh, though still not 
resulting in alcohol. Now, well, like you probably get some form of um, knowledge of of uh, actually the well. Okay, Matt. Well, then, how come the ancient Romans had wine? Well, I'll get to that, mate. Knowledge of um, distillation spread across Europe along the travelling moors in the early um, process of picking up those in the Christian regions using the produced ingredients of various um, things. Also, medicines like uh, like uh, smallpox, colic, you know, that type of stuff. So, really, that was 500 to 1000 AD. Uh, the other one was 100 AD, the first of the Alexander the Nils of 100 AD. Uh, this one here is 500 to 1000 AD. That's between that time. All right, so now we'll go down to another uh, more or less no, 200 years or 1,200 years or whatever. Now, this is 1,000 to 1,200 AD. All right. The origin of whiskey be- began over 1,000 years ago with a distillation made of migration migration from the mainland Europe to Scotland and Ireland by travelling monks. So really, the knowledge of all this was actually done by the monks. I didn't, I actually did not know that, mate. But it was actually done by the monks. Sorry, guys, that's just me phone vibrating. <laughs> um, now, the Scotch and Irish monasteries were lacking vineyards and grapes. So this, now listen to this, guys. So they didn't have vineyards, they didn't have grapes, because obviously the climate in Scotland and Ireland is too bloody cold, isn't it? Because you need a nice hot summer-type climate to grow grapes, don't you, like in France? Well, they turned fermenting grain mash, resulting in the first distillations of modern whiskey. So whiskey's been around for a fucking long time, mate. A very long time. So... Basically, Ireland and Scotland can thank the people of the monasteries uh, from Europe, the monks, come over to Scotland and actually make the original Scotch and Irish whiskey. Pretty good, I reckon. Alright, so, now this is 1250 AD. Now, this might seem like a very long episode, this might seem very boring to some people, but to some people this might actually be a very good episode. This is the history of whiskey. This is the origin of whiskey. Now, this is 1250. The earliest records of alcohol distillation appears in Italy. Now, this is what I was talking to you guys before. Being distilled from wine. And that was in 1232 to 1335 by this Ramon. I can't pronounce his last name. Sorry, guys. Um, now... 1405. Now, we're getting into the real medieval type times now, aren't we? Now, the first written, uh, written record of whiskey, that is without an E, appears in Ireland, um, where it was written that the head of a clan died. And um, I can't pronounce that because it's all in Gaelic, but I, um, it's pa- apparently taking a, uh, a sur- surfeit or something. A sufficient amount. So basically what's happened was he died from drinking too much, basically. He basically died of drinking too much at Christmas. Alright. So now we'll go de- we'll go back down now to 1494. Now this is I'm not gonna say AD anymore because this is around time now. Um now 
By this time, distillation of whiskey in Scotland was fully underway. This is in 1494. By the record of um, these uh, something rolls in 1494, where King James IV of Scotland granted a large amount of malt, um, and I'm not going to pronounce that either, by the order of the king, um, basically, he's more. By the look of this, he's more saying to let's make whiskey. Basically, <laughs> now from uh, 1536 to 1541, now production of whiskey shifted to the general public after King Henry VIII of England dissolved the monasteries and making a large number of monks independent and looking for new ways to make living. Make a living. Distillation was it. So basically, King Henry VIII of England basically said, right, you you blokes, get out here and start fucking working and doing your own thing. We're going to get rid of your buildings, get rid of your churches type thing, or your monasteries, and get rid of them. Now you got to fight, you know, you got to basically fight for yourself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, well, they, they more have said to them, to the king, more or less, I didn't actually say to the king, but they probably would have said, well, okay, well, we're going to keep making whiskey. So this is 1600 and onwards. As European um, colonists began to arrive in America, they brought with them the practice of distilling of whiskey. Many Scotch and Irish immigrants settled there. New territories eventually beginning to, to distill new types of grains of and mash. Now, I'm guessing this is when they started making the bourbons. And uh, that type of thing, you know, or the rise and that type of thing. All right. Now we're going to go down to 1608. Now the old Bushmills Distillery is licensed in Northern Ireland. Today holds in title of the oldest licensed distillery in the world. Jesus, really? The old Bushmills Distillery. Now I've actually heard of that whiskey. I've never tried it, but apparently I've heard good things about it. Now, let's go down for another 100 years. To 1707 to 1725, the Acts of Union resulted in the merging of kingdoms of King uh, of Scotland, of Scotland and um, of England, to creating the Great Britain. So basically, uh, after the rebellions of um, of Scotland, the English defeated them, and I dare say that would have been with the Jacobites, or would have thought. Um, and uh, then that's how they formed the Great Britain. So the following years, taxes rose dramatically. The English malt tax of 1725 seriously threatened the production of whiskey and led to the majority of Scotch distilleries to head underground and begin production at night. Whiskey, one of the most finest nicknames of moonshine. So there you go, guys. There you go. We've actually finally realised, I don't, I never knew this, I actually have no idea where moonshine originally came from. It came from Scotland. The good old Scots came up with one of the biggest names. So I'm just going to read that bit again. So the English malt tax of 1725 seriously threatened the production of whiskey and led to the majority of Scottish distilleries to head... Underground, excuse me, to begin uh, and to begin production at night, giving the whiskey one of the finest nicknames, moonshine. So there you go, guys. 
that's how you got the moonshine name. By the Scottish distillers going to the ground, making their things and making their whiskies and that at night time, creating the moonshine. There you go. Alright, so now we're going to go down to 1775 to 1783. Now, I don't know if you guys know your history, but this is when the American Civil War, um, not the Civil War, the, um, Revolu- the Revolution War of America actually happened. Many years after producing their own whiskey and seeing the value of general um, population, distillers often used whiskey as a currency during the American Revolutionary War. Sorry for no, I'm not pronouncing that properly. Alright, so 1783, now this is from 1775, from 1783, that was about the, about the currency, and this is 1783. The first commercial distillery was founded in Louisville, Kentucky, on the banks of the, of the Ohio River. Sorry for pronouncing that wrong, guys. I know there's a few Americans listening to this, I'm very sorry about that. By Evan Williams. Now I've actually heard of that whiskey. It's a very, uh, it's a very. Um, uh, well, I don't. I honestly don't think it would be classed as a whiskey because being in America, I dare say it would be probably classed as a bourbon. But in any case, it's still a spirit, so I'll will definitely give you that. Um, by Evan Williams, yeah. So I've actually again I've heard of Evan Williams. I've actually heard of that that bourbon. It's actually classed as a bourbon now. Um, and I've actually heard of it, and uh, apparently, again, I've heard pretty good things. Now, in 1791, the new um, the new exercise was introduced to help people fund um, debt and from the Revolutionary War, blah, blah, blah. Uh, import duties were already at a high, so there was actually a excess tax as well. Um and producing the distilled spirits uh, was levied, and uh, the first kind of the new national government, although the tax applied to distillers, the spirits, distilled spirits of any kind, whiskey was the most popular, of course. So in this, um, in this expense, it became commonly known as whiskey tax. There was all, there's always taxes in there when it really comes to things like this, isn't it? There's always taxes. There's always someone who wants to get the, the leg up and get more money out of people. It's, yeah, it's not good anyway, but this is the way it was, I suppose. All right, so this was 1791 to 1794. Um, the unrest between the grain farmers and the U.S. government have soon been dubbed as a whiskey rebellion. Now, I actually did not know this. There was actually a whiskey rebellion. <laughs> for fuck's sake, a whiskey rebellion. Now, this is unreal. The farmers used their distilling their surplus grains into whiskey um, on, in a united protest. All right, so a protest at gathered speed uh, by the western counties, uh, our counties, sorry, of uh, Pennsylvania and the federal officials were uh, in order to deny collection of tax. So basically, um, they were basically told them to get stuffed. You're not, you're not getting your money off me. You're not getting any more taxes off me. So bad luck. Um, 
<clears throat> now, the rebellion came to a turning point in, in July 1794 when the Home Tax Inspector General John Neville, sorry if I didn't pronounce that right, uh, was attacked by nearly 600 armed men. President Washington responded by sending in a militia force around 13,000 to march west to meet the resistance with force. The, rebel, um, the rebels uh, disbanded before they arrived. The key leaders fled to safety and the mass protesting came to an end. Alright, so now this is getting to the real interesting stages of whiskey, in my opinion, anyway. 1801. While the physical, rebe- uh, re- the physical rebellion halted, the opposition to the whiskey tax continued and became sufficient issue of the following... Um, uh, polit- yeah, more sort of the politics uh, elections nearly formed the the oh okay the Democratic Republican Party led by Thomas Jefferson, who pledged to um, repel the tax and if voted into power. Same bloody thing with politics. And when Jefferson took office in eighteen oh one, he did just that. Oh, that oh that's good then, isn't it? Finally, a politician who actually said, oh, I'm going to do this, mate, don't worry about it, it's all good. As long as you vote me in, it's going to be all good, mate. Just bloody get me in and I'll be all good. Got in. Ah, right, that's it. No more of that. Well, there you go. So he actually done it, so that's good. Now, in uh, 1820, now we're going over to, um, oh, here we go. Now we're going over to Scotland. A Scottish grocer named... John Walker, now you should know that name, began producing his own whiskey, which became one of the most famous and most widely distributed brands of Scotch whiskey in the world. John Walker himself, uh, I've got no idea what that bloody word is, a Tito, Tito Rolo? Oh, I don't know, but that was Johnny Walker, Johnny Walker Scotch, beautiful stuff. I'm not a big fan of the black one, but I, I do like the uh, the blue one. I've never tried the green one, but... All right, not, uh, 1823. Now, the other one was 1820. This is 1823. Um, the United Kingdom brought the moonshine production to an end when they gave Scottish distilleries the option to legalise their operations by paying a fee. Again, with the bloody fees and taxes, mate. So basically, um, with the moonshine business, obviously the Night Kingdom said, no, you don't have to do that anymore. You can make your whiskey, you know, properly. You can make it um, legally type thing. And you can make it so everyone can drink it, which is good. So now you don't have to make it as a moonshine and make it underground. You can actually make up a proper distillery as long as you pay a fee. Typical. Fuck. Jesus Christ. All right. Again, in 1883, the process that the sour mash, now a lot of people probably would know where a sour mash is, uh, was developed by Dr. James C. Crow. Uh, this was now uh, the Woodford Reserve Distillery in, in Kentucky. Uh, in process of management, mash have added in new mash and the balance of acid and live yeast. 
This uh, that is contained controls growth of foreign bacteria, involving consistency of between batches. Um, that every bowl is as close as the previous as possible. Uh, this in the way of the bur- which is bourbon is made. So this is the creation of bourbon in 1823, guys. Uh, which also legal requirements producing Tennessee whiskey. Uh, current requirement when producing Tennessee whiskey. Um, well, Tennessee uh, Tennessee whiskey is Jack Daniels, which is uh, made from a sour mash, and yeah. Um, 1831, after inventing the, the steel, the continuous steel, so I think, I'm pretty sure they're those real big, massive ones, like the real huge ones. Um, involved in technology, involved in acceleration, Irish inventor, um, Arius Coffee, Coffee, um, made of the coffee steel. Now, this is not coffee like the, like the drink coffee. This is C-O-F-F. L-E, steel. Now, I've actually heard of this. This is, I'm pretty sure they're those real big ones. Allowing manufacturers to produce whiskey more effectively and at lower cost. Um, now, in 1840, the Old Bourbon County um, was producing Old Bourbon County whiskies for some years. The name was used to, uh, from other, well, more or less, Differences between other whiskies because Old Bourbon was the first corn whiskey that most people had uh, had come across. It wasn't until 1840 uh, it was officially given the name Bourbon, and the stiller named by Jacob Spears was the first label to produce um, the product as Bourbon whiskey. So, really, in some ways, guys, the differences really between Bourbon and whiskey that I've actually figured out is it's the same like the actual scotch is actually made in the same way or the whiskey is in made in the same way but just called a different name that's basically what, what it is basically so bourbon and whiskey are more or less in some ways the same type of thing but in completely different things at the same time it's a bit um a bit interesting when it comes to that type of thing all right so in 1850 um, the first blended whiskey comes into production. Andrew Usher mixed the traditional pot still whiskey with a new batch produced in the coffee um, still. Usher met the stubborn resistance of the traditional Irish distillers, many of whom claimed that it was a new blend, was not whiskey at all. Still, his company became the first produced the mass market of bottled blended whiskies. And uh, even and even became the most popular import into the U.S. after finding the, the oh the um the finding of uh, with the Nicholas and Co. in eighteen fifty three. Excuse me. <coughs> Had a bit of um. Oh, I'm having a drink of water actually. Now this is in nineteen twenty three. In nineteen twenty to um, 1933 and this was a not a good time for in America oh, that's better if you know your history you know why <clears throat> uh, now 
1920 to 1933. 13 years, that was not a good time for to be in America if, you to, if you're a drinker. The American um, Prohibition era banned all production, sale and use of alcohol. However, the federal government made the exception um, of uh, medication, so medicine, whiskey, uh, from a doctor to be sold uh, through a licensed pharmacy. During the same time frame, the pharmacy um, chain uh, Walgreens used to uh, take this to advantage and grow on um, from 20, store, 20 stores to nearly 400. So I don't know Walgreens. I'm pretty sure that's a big American um, pharmacy chain. Um, we don't have it here in Australia, I'm pretty sure. But um, they went from 20 stores to 400. So from that prohibition area. Um, but that would have been interesting. Like, ha- like, how would you actually go to the doctor? And actually say, okay, I need, I need some um, help with uh, sleeping. I suppose. Would they give you whiskey for that reason? Like, what what reasons would they have to give to actually give you that whiskey to um, to actually allow you to actually have that whiskey? What would they actually have to give you to actually let you have that whiskey? Or do you have to have like an illness or a sickness or I know they're the same things but different things I suppose um, like muscle pains, headaches, sleeping problems, mental problems. What type of things would they have to give you the alcohol to actually able to give you the actual whiskey for it? Uh, it's it's interesting. I might actually look that. I might actually look that up next time, guys, and I'm, I'll give you the answer um, in the next episode. Alright, now this is around the time when my uh, mum was born, 1964, she was born 62, um, bourbon really hit the big time as American Congress declared bourbon whiskey as the country's official distilled spirit. So there you go everyone, in 1964, America that um, more or less claimed bourbon to be their national spirit. Well, that's good on them, isn't it? Bloody good on you, America. Good on you. <laughs> ah, no, good on you, mate. Um, now, uh, also laid out specific um, regulations uh, that are have to be met in order to label whiskey, uh, whiskey as bourbon. For more details, read what is bourbon, blah, blah, blah. Um, now... I will get. On, I might make up another episode, or might make a part two of this, and I might actually do bourbon as well. Um, now, two thousand and four, the American Whiskey Trail is launched to promote the many historical sites of operating distilled whiskies, uh, old distilleries. Sorry, um, in De- in Kentucky, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and New York. All right, now that is the official thing in 2004. So you basically have been caught up with the entire history of whiskey and of distillation. It's a pretty long history, guys, and whiskey has been around for a long, long, long time. So good on them. Now, <clears throat> the next part of uh, of this episode is whiskey blending. Now, I'm, I'm only going to give you a bit of a, a short course of this. Now, blending, like I said to you, uh, is basically um, 
you you basically grab different. I'm only going I'm only going to give you the short view because there's a lot of stuff here. Um, now, blending of whiskies is a blend of uh, that consists of anything from fifteen to eighty different single distilleries. Now, remember what I said to you before: a single whiskey, a single malt whiskey, is um, distilled, barreled, bottled. That's it. That's single malt whiskey. Now, a blended whiskey, Scotch whiskey, is blended, like I said, from fifteen to eighty, uh, fifty. What am I saying? Fifteen to fifty different distilleries, single malt distilleries. Combine the portions, the formula that is that is the secret to blending company considered. Now that is if you got um, say, I like your whiskey, mate, because your whiskey is nice and sweet. So I'm gonna have you. Your whiskey is nice and peaty, which is real nice. Um, bit bit of a harsher side. I'll bring yours here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bring yours here too. All right, yours. I want yours as well because yours is nice and floral and beautiful. Bring it here. All right, yours is not um, not as sweet, but nice. So bring yours here. And then what they basically do is say, righto. Righto, Jimmy, let's get these um, five whiskies here. Righto, John, let's get these whiskies here. And we'll put in, we'll make up a couple of formulas, see which one's better. And then we'll mass produce that one and make it as a blended whiskey. Um, that's basically it. Um, so... Let's uh, get down to pass all this here. Uh, a deluxe. Now, what is a deluxe blend with Scotch whiskey? It is a blend of certain higher productions and carefully selected older, therefore more expensive whiskies. Now, this is good stuff. This is real good stuff. Now, <clears throat> now the thing is, right, now, some people do get confused about this too. Now, I know not everyone knows about whiskey. Not everyone understands about whiskey. Now, the problem is, is that some people don't understand about the 12, 14, 16, 18, 24, 58, bloody blah, blah, blah. Now, that's how many years. Now, when there is a age label, now, that's 12 years. Age label on a bottle of blended whiskey is not referred to the average age of the whiskies that are blended. Now, no, the law requires that when the age is declared on the label, it must refer to the youngest whiskey of the blend. So, say if you've got a 12 year old, uh, say Johnny Walker in there, and you've got a 15 year old Glenfinnick, um, uh, and let's just say you've got a 24-year-old Glen Wandy. I don't know if that's the right way of pronouncing it, but you've got a Glen Wandy bloody uh, scotch in there as well. You go by the uh, by the youngest whiskey that's actually in that bottle. So in this case, um, it would be the 12-year-old uh, Johnny Walker. All right, so now, now when it comes to ages and when it comes to years on a bottle and it's a single malt it refers to and this is to my understanding this is to my opinion um it goes by the age that actually has stayed in the barrel for the longer it stays in the barrel the more flavor it gets from the wood 
and the more flavour it gets from the char from the wood. Because um, I know some places actually char their woods to get that nice oaky, um, well that's in America anyway, but they get that nice flavour. And if you, un- if you understand what I mean, because I drink my whiskies and my scotches neat. Sometimes I drink a mix, but mostly neat for the good, well, yeah, for the real good ones. Um, I tend to uh, just basically, you got to really enhance the flavour of it all, mate. you got to really got to enhance it. Now, this is common whiskey terms, I'm actually going to say, but I'm not going to say more because we've been going on for 36 minutes already, so. All right, so obviously you know what a single whiskey is. It's a single whiskey that uh, product is one of a particular sterile. We already discussed that a couple of times. All right, now uh, what is a what is wash? Now I've actually never heard of this myself. A wash or mash technically um, becomes wash as soon as the yeast added to the fermentation. A lot of big words in this bloody um, these notes. However, the term usually is used to refer the liquid at the end of the fermentation. Uh, it is a wash that forms the raw material uh, of the first distillation in the pot still. Process of the only distillation to prevent um, still process. So basically that's what a wash is. Now, uh, what is the pot still distillation? And malt whiskey is distilled twice all right twice although few distilleries may undertake a third distillation which is true um jameson the irish whiskey has actually been distilled three times so just remember that uh which is a huge copper kettles basically which is resembles a real big kettles uh the spirit is driven off to the fermented liquid uh as a vapor uh and that is condensed back into a liquid. So basically, the vapor goes up on top of the kettle, and obviously what it does, it sucks up through the thing, turns it back into a liquid, and there is your spirit. Um, now, the first distillation, uh, the fermented liquid or wash, is put into the wash still and heated, um, again, top thing, directly by fire uh, or by steam heated coils. Um now, I'm just going to go down a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. I didn't realise how many bloody terms there was in, in whiskies. Now, we are coming to the end of this episode. Uh, now, I want to give you a couple of my choices that I tend to love to drink and that I tend to love drinking. Uh, now, the first one is the Glenfinnick distillery in scotland now glenfinnick is beautiful whiskey uh they're in seaside in scotland remains family owned now i'm just got notes on here about um about glenfinnick um it's been family owned since the construction was completed in 1887 um and it is a beautiful scotch it is absolutely beautiful uh and i'm pretty sure it is a single malt whiskey which is better in some ways. Um, now, Glenfinnick um, Bourbon Reserve uh, is a Scotch whiskey. Its name comes from the fact that alongside the traditional Scotch palate, this also offers a sweet hint of the classic bourbon flavours, um, which I've not tried, which is 
very unfortunate because I want to try it. Um, now, at Amber Gold Whiskey, the 14-year-old is mainly malt-based um, flavours from the focus of oak, spice and fruit. Um, this is a drink that's blended uh, from a brand and blended of different um, uh, different flavours and different textures, I suppose. Um, now, this spirit is paying homage to its American cousins with the bourbon notes of remains favourite for whiskey lovers across the world. Uh, its long, warming finish provides a silky mouthful of strong cinnamon hint. Uh, it's a fun, enjoyable drink and perfect for all enjoying on its own. It is definitely really nice to have on its own. Like I tend to have the green bottle, uh, which is the 12-year-old, and it's absolutely beautiful. Now, this next one that I that I choose is really nice. I, I've had all of them. I, um, I I've, uh, was able to buy myself a uh, a like I got a um, uh, we call them like a sample pack where I had about four or five bottles of these little bottles. They've actually still got today. I'm up on my thing, uh, tasting all different all different sorts of the of the bottles that they actually have. Um, now, now next one here is Glenmorangie. That's the one I'm talking about now. Um, Glenmorangie is absolutely beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. Uh, I've had like my, my favourite one is the yellow one. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but I think it's um, Glenmorangie original. Um, so. I'm very sorry if I'm not pronouncing these words properly. I'm very sorry about that, guys. Um, now, with with Glenn, I'm, I'm just going to call it Glenn. With Glenn, Glenn Wandry, um, it has got some real powerful flavours. Now, uh, this was the one of the biggest brands um, when it comes to uh, whiskies and scotches. And it actually has been um, labelled as one of the best by connoisseurs and collectors. And uh, it's a great um, price point to recognise the efforts of the resulting a remarkable drink. Now, I'm actually uh, going to read out something here from the actual website. Um, I'm pretty sure it's from. Um, the nose, the first thing you'll, imp- you'll impress you, well, that, that will impress you, sorry, uh, with this whiskey, is a is a cinnamon and cumin are the two most powerful flavors that will hit you before you take a sip. It's a pleasant aroma and focuses sweet notes, which is true. Uh, Glenmorangie Grand Vintage takes the crown of the best Scotch whiskey, mostly due to the balance of the crowd pleaser, and it offers a little of everything, of hints of vanilla, oak, and long, slightly malty finish, which is true. Alongside the sweetness and experience notes of leather, Christmas cake, ginger, and chocolate, that is completely true. Because you get it's a beautiful drink; it's absolutely fantastic, and I re- definitely would recommend it. Um, like I said, I prefer the uh, the original. All right, the next one is what I was telling you about there before, Johnny Walker. Now everyone knows Johnny Walker. I'm not going to say the whole bloody thing about it because everyone knows Johnny Walker. Uh, I prefer the um, the blue label. I've had the blue label. I'm not a big. Um, I'm not actually a real big fan of the black label. I reckon it's too peaty. It's really 
very harsh. Like, I'm not, I'm kind of, I'm not like a weakling with it, but I know, I just don't like those type of whiskies. I like, I, I'm not a big fan of them. I would drink them if I was offered one. I would drink it, but I'm not a big fan. I wouldn't go out and buy myself a bottle of Black Label. Now, Blue Label is probably one of the best ones out of the lot. I've never had the green one. I've had the red one. I've had the black one. I've had the blue one. Blue one is beautiful. Um, now with the now this apparently this is from the website I suppose. Um, now the rounded nose is a blended signature of spiciness, except uh, sweetness and explosion of flavour from the first sip. Blue label is known to be a um, nice, nice violet whiskey. Uh, so enjoyed flavours like hazelnut, toasted oak, sandalwood, tobacco. And also drinking it neat. So that's probably why it does taste the way it does. Because one thing I've noticed about the type of scotches and whiskies I've drank over the years. Is the highlands of Scotland are a lot more lighter and floral and sweet and just nice type thing. But if you go down to the um, to the lowlands of Scotland. You tend to... Uh, find them to be a bit more darker, a bit more harsher, and a bit more uh, smokier type thing. I know that, that sounds a bit weird, but that's that's just how I feel about it. It uh, it has a bit more of a smoky type flavour to it. It's a, it's a it's a nice it's a nice um, whiskies down there, but um, I prefer the Highlands of um, of the whiskies. That's that's what I prefer anyway. Uh, and the best tasting whiskey of the Johnny Walkers, like I said, was the Blue Label. Now, this next one is a blended whiskey. This is Monkey Shoulder. Now, Monkey Shoulder is an absolutely fantastic drink. You can have this on its own. Um, it is very, very nice. And uh, now, the now Monkey Shoulder is is pretty well known, I suppose. But if you don't know, Monkey Shoulder is a Scotch. It's a superb blended malt whiskey. Remember what I said to you about um, blended and single malts? Now, now with this, uh, from the whiskey from uh, William Grant, made from single malts from three famous seaside distilleries. Now, can you guess which one of those distilleries is actually in Monkey Shoulder? It's in Seaside. I told you this before. Now, apparently, Glenfinnick puts their whiskey in monkey shot. So there you go. And results um, of a smooth, creamy, simple, very malty scotch, which works superbly well neat over ice, so on the rocks, and in a whiskey cocktail. <sighs> really? Um, where it really excels. So you put it in a cocktail, it really brings out the flavours, which is probably true. Um, now, the tasting notes um, of this uh, is nose. I'm not going to tell you really the whole thing, but um, I'll give you just the, the palate. Well, the palate, because when you, like, you want to really want to get into this real whiskey connoisseur type thing, you've got to know the three things. You've got to know the nose, the palate, and the finish. Now, you got to whisk it around and all that type of jazz. you got to whisk it, whisk it around, not just chuck it around. That's if you're a wino. If you're a wine person, you whisk it around. With your whiskey, you don't. You just, t you just tilt it over and you just spin it a little bit 
until it gets to the other side and you tip it on again. And you see, and apparently the thinner the things go down the glass, the more high the alcohol ca- uh, content is. The wider they are, the less co- um, thing is it is. So, and then you put up to your nose, and what I know from um, from YouTube videos that I've seen and what I've uh, you know what I've done over the years, when you want to smell a whiskey, don't have your mouth closed. Have your mouth open. Because all the vapors and all the um, all the flavors are going to get stuck in your nose cavity, and won't and you won't be able to have the full uh, experience of it. Apparently, you gotta open up your mouth, so you so you gotta put your tongue on top of your roof of your mouth, and then have your mouth open a bit, or put your um, open up your mouth but close your teeth. And just uh, smell it like that, you know what I mean? Because then the whole uh, smell can go through your um, through your face and through your nose, down through your mouth. Now the palate is a very malty, very creamy delivery of um, berry fruit, juicy toasted barley, barley, cloves, and butterscotch. Uh, it's got a nice thing of honey with hot buttered toast and dried apricot um, developed. That is completely true. It is a beautiful um, scotch. It is absolutely fantastic. Now, the finish is a medium-length spicy oak with a hint of peppermint on the trail. And um, basically, that's about it. Now, let's... Now, I'm not just going to talk about Scotland and America here, guys. I've been here in Australia. And we've got some good bloody distilleries over here, too. Now, I've been over to Tassie, and I've actually been to these two distilleries. I've actually tried them, and they are beautiful. Um, this is Lark Distillery in Tasmania. It's uh, in the heart of Tas- in uh, Hobart, in the city of Hobart. Absolutely beautiful whiskey. Uh, they make a very nice liqueur um, that I picked up there. I also got myself a bottle of it. Um, very nice stuff. Beautiful stuff. And... Um, uh, now, for the people who, because I'm not just saying from an Australian point of view, because I know there's people from France, there's people from Ireland, and there's also people from America. Now, part of Tasmania's best distilleries lies right in the heart of Hobart. Lark Distillery was founded in 1992 by the owner, uh, realised that Tasmania had all the grants of the beautiful malt whiskey, yet no one seemed to be juicing it. Lark has grown to be one of the top distilleries in the country, creating the premium spirit um, time-honoured methods. Uh, at the cellar door, over 150 uh, malt whiskies are on offer. So there's a lot of whiskey to be offered. Um, now, this is another one. Uh, that's I. This is actually older than Lark, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Now, this is Hyler's Road in Tasmania. Um now this is, I've actually been to the distillery. Now it was fantastic to go to this distillery, mate. It was absolutely beautiful, because what actually ended up happening was is they actually went to the distillery, and done a tour there. They had a taste of different um, ingredients and felt the the grains and uh, and I actually get to bottle my own one out of, a, out of the barrel and actually bottled one and put the wax on and everything. It was fantastic. And they are beautiful whiskies over there. 
Um, so the story of Hyler's Road. Now, this is a Hyler's Road Distillery in Tasmania. Now, Hyler's Road is an unlikely uh, as it's rewarding. Now, it begins near a town called Burnie. That's on the northern coast of Tasmania, which is the corner of the world of the shoe building things, the growing things, and milking things. <laughs> Winding up the above of the town of the road is the road. Now, this is a very interesting story about Hyler's Road Distillery. This is really interesting. The trail um, was once bush. The bush in 1827 um, was carved out by Henry Hyler. And a explorer and a um, a cartographer, something I don't know. C R C A R T O G R A P H E R, who, accordingly to local legend, had a little more than a um, bullock gang, more than a bullock gang. Okay, um, most basic of tools. Today, the road is once named in his honour. And the home of the whiskey distillery is named in his honour. Now, it was founded by a group of dairy farmers. So cow farmers, like milk farmers. These farmers knew their environment was perfect for sourcing ingredients and for its uh, quality. Like Henry Haller, Haller it was too, uh, they had to have the patience and the authenticity. Jesus, I'm mixing up words bad today. Um, to more or less do it. Uh, today, Hyler's Road Distillery will produce whiskies of great quantity and quantity, and will continue to win um, international rewards. So it's actually it's a pretty big whiskey. Uh, we they export to twenty countries along the way of becoming Australia's biggest selling local crafted whiskey. Hyler's Road story is one of the foresight and determination. Uh, inspired the Henry spirit and the crate whiskey that uh, captures every taste of the character of Tasmania. Um, but that is it, guys. That is the end of my notes, and that is the end of this episode. Um, it has been so fan-fucking-tastic um, bringing these episodes to you. This is episode 10, guys. I'm really excited about bringing another 10 to you. Um, which would be coming up very soon um, but thank you very much for joining me today guys I really hope you enjoyed this episode like I'll have in the outro um, I hope you learned something uh, and uh, hopefully you give me a nice review on uh, on wherever you heard this podcast whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Deezer or wherever Google Podcasts, whatever um, just give us a review that helps me a fair bit make sure I'll say this always in the outro as well um, make sure you head over to my Facebook or Matt it was media send me a message mate if you want to uh, if you want to you know all that type of thing send me a message and ask me a question if you want if you want me to talk about a certain topic just um, send me a, a, a message and I'll get back to you and I'll also give you a shout out too um, anyway, guys, thank you very much for joining me today, today and uh, I'll see you for the next one. That's later, guys. So that's it for this episode, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to give me a review and rate it. It's very much appreciated. If you want to get in contact with me, make sure you head over to my Facebook page at Mad Eagles Media, which you can send me a message at. If you also want to donate, go over to my PayPal account, which is in the show notes. 
Thanks for joining me today, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. And I hope to see you for the next one. See you later.